Christ is risen. He is risen Good, you remembered from last week. I was worried. I didn't know. It's, uh, you never know. One, one week to the next, it's like, was that just a one-off event? Or is that something we talk about all the time? And the truth of the gospel is that Christ is risen and he is risen indeed. That happened 2,000 years ago and it is still true today. So we can declare it every week. So it is wonderful to hear you say those wonderful words of Easter declaration just one more time. So thank you for being here. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. And we are so glad that you are here with us today. Today on this first Sunday after Easter... We're going to actually go back to something that happened just before Jesus came into Jerusalem on that Holy Week. As a matter of fact, I've talked about this before, chapter 19, which ends with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, begins with an episode, an event that happened in the city of Jericho. Jericho was where you would where you would stop as a pilgrim coming from Galilee and take a hard right to, go, to begin your ascent from the valley of the Jordan up to the city of Jerusalem. And in the first of that, at the beginning of that journey, Jesus had a very interesting meeting in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. If you would, please read along with me. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when the people saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you know, one of my good friends, an elder from our previous church in South Carolina, was a retired IRS agent. And Joel was a wonderful guy. He is a wonderful guy. But whenever I would come to these passages about tax collectors, I felt like I had to go and make a disclaimer, an, an apology up front to him and say, you know, Joel, you, 
you know we know tax collectors are different now than they were back then. You know, we, we liked him. He was an elder in our church. He was a wonderful guy. And I said, I said, you know, I'm not talking specifically about you. Please understand that I know tax collectors and IRS agents are very different now. And he would say, I understand. I've heard this for years. I know I'm not offended, but just remember, I'm your worst nightmare. I'm an accountant with a gun. Well, in Israel, during the time of the Roman occupation, at the time of Jesus, tax collectors were not like my friend Joel. They were not good guys. Ancient tax collectors were extortionists. They were collaborators. They were traitors to Israel, traitors to their own people, the people of Abraham. Rome expected them to hand over a particular amount in taxes each collection period. Anything above and beyond that they could keep for themselves as their own compensation. They could collect whatever they could get away with. And it became like a, a mafia-style protection racket with all of the power of the Roman army backing them up. And any attack on one of these tax collectors was seen as an attack on the empire. And Roman soldiers could quickly come and punish those who resisted. So in our, our passage today, Jesus was in Jericho on his way to Jerusalem to do those things that we talked about last week. He was on his way to celebrate Passover. And more importantly... He was on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill God's plan to restore God's people through his death and resurrection. That's why he was in Jericho. Now, like other tax collectors, Zacchaeus was reviled. He was hated. He had no real friends. Nobody would talk to him except out of fear or disgust. And they cursed him behind his back. They didn't even consider him a real Jew anymore because he had turned his back on God and on God's people. And that couldn't have been easy, even for a rich and powerful man. Why did Zacchaeus choose this profession? Why did he turn his back on his people? Why did he become a tax man? We don't know. However it started, he learned along the way that people are going to hate tax collectors. But when this Galilean rabbi came to town, something made Zacchaeus want to go and see what the fuss was all about. I mean, he had heard about the miracles. He'd heard about the teachings. He'd heard recently about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That had to, uh, had to pique his curiosity. So he went to hear Jesus but Luke describes him as a man small of stature. And so when he, got to the, when he got to where Jesus was supposed to pass through, he couldn't see over the heads of the crowd. And so what did he do? He decided to climb up a sycamore tree to see Jesus when he came by. Now he could have looked at the crowd and said, oh well, never mind. I'm never going to be able to see him and just gone home. But instead, something compelled him to haul himself up that tree, which may have not been easy for him to do. Something made him climb up because he wanted to see Jesus so badly. Was it because of curiosity? Was it fascination? Was it voyeurism? 
Whatever it was, something drove him there. He desperately wanted to see Jesus. And so there he was, up in the tree, and everybody could see him just as well as he could see them. And there he was, small, and now exposed and vulnerable, laughable, a target, more open to criticism than he'd ever been before. So there he was. But then Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him up in the tree. And unlike everyone else in town, Jesus didn't laugh at him. And he didn't revile or hate Zacchaeus. He didn't say, look at that guy. Who's the big man now? No. When Jesus saw him, he said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today I'm going to be a guest in your house. And what did Zacchaeus do when the Son of God called out to him? He welcomed Jesus into his home. He welcomed him into his life. And he welcomed him into his heart. Now this was a huge honor. Jesus was the celebrity of the moment. He was the guy that everyone was talking about. He was famous. And yet he singled out the most infamous guy in town. The man who didn't have any friends and probably couldn't get four people together for dinner without threatening or bribing them. And he said, I'm coming to your house. But the crowd got angry at that. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I mean, what business does this rabbi have getting cozy with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there. He was stunned. He stammered apologetically, and he said, Master, I give away half of my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I'll pay four times the damages. You know, it kind of reminds me of that scene in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas when it says that the Grinch's heart grew, what is it, 10 sizes that day? Something happened in Zacchaeus' heart. That day when he met Jesus, everything changed for Zacchaeus. This man of money and power and coercion started giving away the only thing that gave him any kind of comfort, any kind of security, any kind of leverage, any kind of status. And he was essentially telling his whole network, the scam is over, the grift is done, I'm going legit, and I'm giving away my money to make amends for the sins of my past. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. How did salvation come to Zacchaeus? How did it happen? And why did Zacchaeus change? Well, there are 
There's several ways that we can look at this story. We can look at it as a beautiful, simple Sunday school story about the kindness of Jesus, demonstrating the grace of God as Jesus lovingly embraced this hated and broken person. We can keep it at that simple level. Or we can also look at it as a prelude to much bigger things to come. Because there was Jesus. There he was as he was making his turn toward Jerusalem. And there in Jericho, he declared his purpose. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now we can consider this story as just about Zacchaeus or we can understand that this is a statement not just about Zacchaeus. This is a statement about the world. This is a declaration of Jesus' mission. And now, on the other side of Easter, if we look back at this encounter through the lens of his passion through the lens of Jesus' death and resurrection, then we can see that this event, this encounter, is a foreshadowing of Christ's work of redemption and a foreshadowing of the transforming power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, lately, I've come to think of this story as a tale of two trees. The two trees in this story, one is mentioned, the other is implied. The first is the sycamore tree mentioned in verse 4. The one into which the old sinner climbed and, to which, and in which Jesus found him. But the second tree is implied by his statement of purpose. And not mentioned until chapter 23, verse 33. It is the tree upon which Jesus was crucified. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. As Peter described the crucifixion, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. There's a tragically beautiful symmetry here. Jesus called this old sinner down from the tree only days before the Son of God was lifted up on a tree, on a cross for him. Zacchaeus climbed up into the tree so that he could see Jesus. But what matters is that Jesus saw him and called him down and then on Good Friday took his place. Zacchaeus was up in the tree when Jesus called him down to newness of life. Zacchaeus was literally up a tree. But Jesus didn't just meet Zacchaeus. Jesus changed Zacchaeus. I want you to think about this. Zacchaeus went up the tree one way and he came down 
different. And what happened in the middle, what happened that made a difference was Jesus. Listen to what Zacchaeus says after Jesus called him down. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This isn't a payment. This isn't a payoff. This is an offering of thanksgiving and a statement of confession. Yes, he says it in terms of money, but like a lot of people, that's the only language he knows at this point. But this isn't just a charitable gift. This is a heart change. This is repentance. It's a statement that, that Zacchaeus recognizes his own sin and wants to make restitution. His heart has been changed. His mindset has been changed. His whole outlook has been changed. Why? Because, it, Jesus, because Zacchaeus experienced the transforming power of Jesus. This is the liberating power and amazing grace of God. It is the amazing grace of the cross and resurrection already at work. His bondage to fear, his addiction to power, his appetite for control, his seduction by dishonesty and manipulation, his slavery to greed, his abused and wounded spirit all died. Because of what Jesus was about to do. All of his sins died on the tree with Jesus. And when Jesus died, Zacchaeus' penalties with God would be paid. His sentence executed. His crimes punished, punished and justice satisfied. Christ was headed to Jerusalem to die for Zacchaeus' sin. And when Zacchaeus came down from that tree, he was different because he was set free from everything that made him greedy and cruel and afraid. All of that would be left on the cross, buried in the tomb and discarded like the grave clothes when the stone was rolled away and Jesus left the tomb. It would no longer have any claim or power on him because Jesus paid it all. You want an illustration of what newness of life looks like? That's what newness of life looks like. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. But how did this salvation come to Zacchaeus? How did it happen and why did Zacchaeus change The salvation of God came to Zacchaeus through the kindness of Jesus. It was the transforming power of the cross and the empty tomb applied by the Holy Spirit through the kindness of Jesus that changed Zacchaeus' life. The grace of God and transforming power of the cross and the empty tomb applied by the Holy Spirit through the kindness of Jesus changed his life. 
You see, this story is not just about little Zacchaeus climbing up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. It's about Jesus seeing Zacchaeus. It's about a God who really sees us and who knows how much we really need him. I think that the most important words of this story are that he, Jesus, looked up. Jesus saw him. What does it mean to be, to be seen, to be really seen by the Son of God? It means that Jesus sees our needs even when we don't know them ourselves. He sees the danger of our sin even when we don't know the danger we're in. He sees our reality even when we don't see it ourselves. But it also means that Jesus sees us differently. Everyone else in town saw Zacchaeus simply as a sinner. They said that Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a sinner, which is probably not the worst thing they called him. Or maybe it is. Maybe Zacchaeus' reputation was well-earned. Maybe, maybe he was all those things that people said he was. But maybe that word had been used against him so many times before it didn't even, it didn't even affect him anymore. He didn't even recognize his sin anymore because that word had been weaponized against him so many times that it had lost all effect. But when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he saw him differently. He didn't just see him as a sinner. Zacchaeus saw Jesus from the sycamore tree, but Jesus saw Zacchaeus from the perspective of the cross. It's not just that Jesus saw Zacchaeus up in the tree. It's that he saw Zacchaeus differently than everyone else saw him. Everyone else saw Zacchaeus as a sinner, a cheat, a traitor, an abuser. Jesus saw him as something else. Jesus saw him as a lost son of Abraham and a beloved child of God. Jesus reframed this whole scene by showing us what a sinner really is. A sinner is not just an abomination who is condemned, worthy only of condemnation. A sinner is a lost child of God worth finding and rescuing. Jesus saw more than a sinner. And so the man who represented righteousness incarnate extended his hand of friendship to the very poster boy of corruption. But I want you to notice something else here too. Jesus didn't just say, hey you! He said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Jesus called him by name. One of my favorite Bible verses is Isaiah 43, 1. Thus says the Lord, 
I formed you, O Jacob, and I have created you, O Israel. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Jesus didn't just invite himself to supper. This is the Holy One of Israel being the words of Isaiah, being the word of God made flesh. Here was the word of the Lord leaping off of the page into real life. Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. Jesus called Zacchaeus by both names. Jesus not only called him Zacchaeus, he also called him son of Abraham. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since, also, since he is also a son of Abraham. He was saying, you are still one of God's chosen people. You are still a son of his family. That is your identity. In spite of everything you have done, you are still a beloved child of God's promise. In the eyes of his own people, he was a traitor. He was a Roman collaborator who cheated and extorted his own people for money. The more he charged them, the richer he got. Everyone feared him. Everyone hated him. Everyone except Jesus. And instead of despising him, Jesus did what he always did. He loved the sinner. He loved the outsider and showed him that no one is too far gone for the grace of God. Why would Jesus pay attention to a person like that? Why would he dignify such a vile person so beneath contempt? Because even though Zacchaeus had forsaken God and his people, God had not forsaken him. You are a child of the covenant. And for this man who had betrayed God's people and had been discarded by them, who was utterly lost, this is a declaration that God still loves you. And you are still one of his people. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that was the point. That was why Jesus was going to Jerusalem. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was saved by the grace of God and the transforming power of the cross in the empty tomb, applied by the Holy Spirit through the kindness of Jesus. For a long time, people had cursed Zacchaeus, calling him a villain, a liar, treating him like an outcast. 
But you know, I wonder. I wonder what Zacchaeus thought when he looked down from that sycamore tree and he saw among Jesus' closest friends another tax collector, a man named Levi, or as we know him, Matthew. Can you imagine what it meant for Zacchaeus to see Matthew, a fellow tax collector, among Jesus' followers? He may have thought, nobody loves tax collectors. But Jesus loves people even like me. Everyone else calls Matthew a cheat and a traitor too. But now Jesus calls him a disciple and a friend and a brother. Can Jesus make a difference in my life too? Can he set me free like that too? Beloved, here's the truth. Jesus sees you. He knows the situation you're in. And you're not here by accident today. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. And today he is calling you by name to set you free from the fears and the insecurities and the attitudes that trap you, to set you free from the past that haunts you, and to set you free from the habits that keep you from living the life that God created you to live. The first step to believing that Jesus can change your life is to believe in his kindness. To believe that he's real. To believe that he sees you. To believe that he cares about you. And to believe that he really does have the power to make a difference in your life. It is to believe that whatever the world calls you, or whatever you've called yourself, even if the world calls you sinner or addict or failure or criminal or estranged or something worse, Jesus calls you a son or daughter of Abraham and a beloved child of God. Whatever your situation, the Lord made you and formed you. He has redeemed you and is calling you by name. Trust in the kindness of Jesus. Come down out of whatever tree you're in and welcome him. Invite him into your home. Invite him into your heart as Savior and Lord. And by the power of the cross and the empty tomb, he will set you free. And he will change your life too. Would you pray with me? Oh God, I know that there are people who are here today that you have brought here to hear this story of Zacchaeus. But they are like him. Maybe they have done things themselves or things have happened to them and they feel way outside of your love. Lord, right now I just pray that, that you would speak to them directly and that you would show them your kindness. 
the kind of kindness that you showed to Zacchaeus, the kind of kindness that changed lives, the kind of kindness that delivers the power of your resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that right now, any man, woman, or child who is here today who feels like they are on the outside, that they would just invite you into their hearts, into their homes, and into their lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name.